Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2. And we'll begin our reading in verse 1. Revelation chapter 2. We'll begin our reading in verse 1. I'm not sure how long we will be in the Revelation, but that's where we are this morning. I would ask you just to whisper a prayer for me this morning. I... I don't know. My heart feels heavy. It's not, it's not like a, I don't want to preach. I do. <laughs> but I just feel like God wants to do something today, and I want him to do it. I don't, I just begged him before I got up here. I, I said, God, I, you got to be with us today. You got to help us, Lord. I just need, need him right now. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, that's the angels are the messengers to the churches, to the seven churches, and they're in his right hand, that's his place of authority. And the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that's the, excuse me, the churches themselves, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen. And repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. That was in the Garden of Eden. And when we sin, God forbade us to get near it again. He placed a guard there. Later in the Revelation, we'll read that That tree is planted on the banks of the river of life in heaven. To him who overcomes, 
I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I told you a few weeks ago when we started looking at the Revelation, we've done a couple of sermons from there that times had changed. And it's easy to relate that to our world because emperor worship is now a big thing for them. And the emperor is not just asking for honor or just to be left alone or just for everyone to mind their own business and their own personal theological beliefs. No, he has said that you must worship me at least once a year, burn the incense and say that Caesar is God. Now, I know you know that. We've talked about it every sermon, but... There were two temples in Ephesus just for emperor worship. So it has really hit home in this church at Ephesus, the believers who live in the city of Ephesus. Now I want to just tell you something that I guess this probably is one of the things that just has moved my heart so mightily this morning. Ephesus had every reason in the world to succeed. I'm dumbfounded that here we are hearing a letter like this, to hear God threaten to take away their candlestick. That means I, I, I take away your purpose for even existing. There's no need for you to even come anymore. You can meet, you can have fellowships, you can have whatever you want at that building, but of course they didn't have one, but he is saying to them, if you don't repent, I will come and I will take away your candlestick. And being a light in the darkness is the purpose that you have, glorifying me in this sin-cursed world. And he says, I will remove that ability from you unless you repent. Why do I say this church should have been way ahead of this? Why does it surprise me? Well, I can tell you. If you go back to Acts chapter 20, Paul spends three years at least there from about 54 to 80, 57. In Acts chapter 19, it says that his ministry there was so effective that every single Greek and every single Jew in the province of Asia had heard the gospel. This is only about, oh, maybe 48 years prior to, to this happening, to this letter here. And in Acts 19 again, in verse 12, it says the power of the Spirit was so strong that even the handkerchiefs and aprons worn by Paul brought healing to the sick and drove out evil spirits. And also in chapter 19, it says that so many people had come to know the Lord in the area of Ephesus that it began to affect the businesses of the pagans and the silversmiths that made these little trinkets that people like to worship. They had pretty much ended the market for those kinds of things. Just imagine that. What if Cornerstone Fellowship got a letter from the local liquor store that if y'all don't quit winning people to Jesus, we're going to go broke? I think that would be pretty cool. It's not likely to happen, but 
I'm just saying it, that, that's what was going on there. It was actually having an economic impact. What if we, we get a, uh, a, a, a notice maybe from NASCAR that, boy, if y'all don't start letting them out sooner, uh, we're going to shut down the Charlotte Motor Speedway. It would be comparable to that. And then about eight years after he visits there, he will write a letter to them, and he commends them, actually, interestingly enough, about their love. He says that your love is agape love, and he commended them for their powerful love. And then 30 years or so after that, they get this letter from John. Now think about this church. They've had Paul as their apostle. They've had Timothy was their pastor. And John is their prophet. And yet here they are about a 30-year-old church. And God is already threatening them that if you don't do something, if you don't repent, if you don't heed what I am telling you through your messenger, what I have spoken to him, if you don't listen to what that messenger is saying to you, I will come and take your candlestick away and you will be no more. As a matter of fact, it's a sobering thought to think that seven letters to seven churches and not one of them exists today. At some point, they all died. How can this be? How can we just be this early in? Uh, This church is just a little bit older than us, Cornerstone, and yet they get a letter like this. Well, it wasn't all bad. When Jesus Christ reveals himself to his church at Ephesus, he, he does start out talking about their work. And boy, this is worth hearing. Their work for God, first of all, he talks about the intensity of their labor. He said, I know your deeds, and I know your toil. I don't just know what you profess. We can say whatever we want to. I I think uh, sometimes that if people really loved Cornerstone as much as they say they do with their mouth. I don't think we'd have room enough in here for for everybody this morning. We'd be packed to the brim and seats in the parking lot. But that's what we say. He says, I know more than what you say. I know what you actually do. And then he says, and I, I know your toil. That word kapos is the word in the Greek for toil, and it means to work to the point of exhaustion. You can have the word ergo, which means work, but this word kapos is a word that means you work till you fall on your face. It is absolutely exhausting, and and I can tell you that's what God's work is really like. When we stop just being a spectator and watching those around us crumble in exhaustion, and we really become a part of what God is doing and what's going on with ministry, then I can tell you it will work you to death. It will work you to death. Now, it's sort of like being married. It costs nothing to get married, but it costs you a lot to be married. 
And I think we've talked about that already, but you can have church, you can go to church, you can join the church, you can build a church, you can do all of that, and, and you can pay for most of that with money and spare time. But being the church takes everything we have. He says, I know Ephesus. It, it, didn't, it wasn't lost on me. I've seen some of you fall on your face working, working to be the church. James Calvert, you've probably heard this quote but didn't know it was him. He was a Methodist missionary from England and he went to the Fiji Islands to tell those people about Jesus Christ and he and his family had boarded a ship and before they got to the Fiji Islands, the captain of the ship warned him, says, if you go there and you make contact with these people, they will kill you immediately. James Calvert told him, he says, well, it's okay. We died before we came. We already died. <laughs> he served there 18 years. He even won the chief of Fiji, Fiji to the Lord. And the chief of Fiji outlawed polygamy. I don't know if they outlawed it because it's bad or just couldn't afford it anymore. But it was amazing what God had done. But that's the attitude that you have to have. I can tell you, unless you die before you enter ministry, ministry will kill you. You have to die to self. You really do. I can tell you, if you, if you don't start out by doing that, we're going to hurt your feelings. You're going to do things and we're not going to notice. Is that going to be a problem? What if we give somebody else more credit than we give you? And you did twice as much as they did. What if we don't return your call or what if we don't... Uh, uh, do something that you really expected of us or, or, or whatever. I can tell you, unless you die to self before you enter the ministry, it will kill you. And it's killed a lot of people. They're not here. Look at how many green chairs we got empty this morning. And I know it wouldn't be that way with all of these people, but a lot of them, ministry killed them. As a matter of fact, I remember some of them. I, I could name names. I, of course, I would never do that from here. But I'm just telling you, I know people. I know their names. I know where they used to sit. And you know what led them to not ever coming back to this place? They ventured out of that green chair. They signed up for something. It got tangled. They were people they had to learn to get along with. Oh, God forbid. They had to be told what to do. And if they didn't do it right, someone tried to encourage them to do it a different way. Oh, my Lord. It killed them. It killed them. And they're gone. He knows about the intensity of their labor. Secondly, he knows about the insistence of their labor. He says, you have persevered in it too. You didn't quit. You didn't, you didn't start for a while. Hugh Palmanet is the 
word for perseverance, hypo or hypo is under like hypodermic needle goes under and 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 mino is a word uh, uh, that 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 means a a place or to remain in a place. So it's like they got under the load and they stayed under it. And when it got heavy, they didn't quit. And and I'm telling you, when things got rough and things got tough, they hung in there with it. When it was no longer always exciting, when it wasn't all about, uh, boy, just uh, hearing these cool songs up here and, and praising God, and when, when it got down to just really laboring for the Lord, he said, oh, you didn't quit. He says, I noticed your perseverance. I, I would say one of our biggest problems that we have here at Cornerstone is we have people that can do and will do a lot of things, but for how long? How long? We have trouble with perseverance. We have trouble with that sometime. And I know you may be thinking, boy, preacher, you're being hard on us today. Could you imagine the angel of this church at Ephesus only telling them about half of what God told him? Yeah, I don't want to be that guy either. Intensity. The insistence of their labor. The integrity of their labor. He said, you did it for the right reason. In verse 3, and you have persevered and have endured for my name's sake. You did not do it for appreciation. You didn't do it because somebody would pat you on the back. You didn't do it just because nobody else would do it. You did it for the sake of the name of God. And when that is your motive, then you're doing it to demonstrate his power and his character. So you might not have been very good at it, but you did it anyway. You, you might have started out with two left hands, and, 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 but you did it anyway. And, and, and you might have looked foolish to some, but you did it anyway. You might have felt foolish trying it. You might have felt overwhelmed. You might have felt like you were in over your head, but you finally got tired of just coming and sitting down and having somebody preach to you, and you finally decided to get in there and do something for God. If you did it to demonstrate his power and his character, you did it for the name's sake of the Lord. Man, you can't do it consistently and you, you just can't do it on and on unless that is your motive. It has to be your motive or sooner or later you'll quit. And when you look at for his name's sake in Scripture, Psalm 23, 3 says, He restores my soul and he guides me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake, to demonstrate his power and his character. So why did he choose somebody like you to do a job that's way over your head? Why did he call you to do something that, that, that you can't do? Because it's not about making your name great, it's about making his name great. It's not about your character. It's to demonstrate His. Psalm 31.3 You are my rock and my fortress. For your namesake, you lead me and you guide me. Uh, another one in the New Testament. One more. 
1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. To demonstrate the character of God, the love and grace and compassion of God that he has on people that don't deserve it. It was for his name's sake that every day of our lives he forgives us of our sins. Yes, thank you, Lord. He talked about their work for God. He also talks about their walk with God. Some other things that he liked about them. One, they have no tolerance for evildoers. He said, that's good. For those evil men, he said in verse 2, and you cannot tolerate evil men. Now, that's going to just kind of kick sideways in today's culture because I thought one of the marks of a really good church, probably one of the marks of one of those that's packed out this morning, would be that they tolerate anything. He says, you don't tolerate evil men. God is bragging on them for that. As a matter of fact, Paul warned them back in Acts chapter 20 when he met with the elders outside the city. He said, I know that after my departure, Acts 20, 29, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Savage wolves. Wolves. You don't make a pet out of a savage wolf. It's like people who think they have a pet rattlesnake. No, you don't. You just have a snake living in your house. In verse 30, he says, where do these people come from? The local cult down the street? No, he says, no. And from among your own selves. He disregards the king's English. You'll have to forgive him. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, therefore, be on alert. Be on alert. Man. Are we on alert? Would you know false teaching if you heard it? I, I, I know it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I, I, boy, you can tell those false teachers. I don't, I don't know that we do a very good job of that. What if I stood in the pulpit one Sunday and said that unbelief is more powerful than the power of God? Would you go, yeah, amen. Well, why are you listening to Stephen Furtick? Because he's the one that said that. What if I got up here one Sunday and said, I'm sinless. And I quit sinning the day I found out I wasn't a sinner. You'd say, well, I wouldn't come back. Well, why are you still listening to Joyce Myers? I'm not so sure we're very good at discerning and being alert for those false apostles. What if I preach one Sunday And said that when Jesus died on the cross, he's quit being God. He ceased to be divine. That's another one from Joyce. So why are we still listening to her? Why aren't we roaring with amens in here this morning? Why? why, why, I know why. I know why for some of you, because some of you listen to her all week long. I can just tell you, I don't think we are very good 
at figuring out who is lying and who is preaching the truth. We have classes here on Sunday. We beg people to come. On Wednesday nights, man, I'm telling you, for an hour and a half, we get into the Word of God and and we teach it. And man, I'm just telling you, we have some great times together. And I have begged and begged men to come to that. I wish you would. We learn about the Word of God. Man, he says, you don't tolerate that. He says, you also have no tolerance for evil doctrine, evildoers or evil doctrine. In verse 2, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. Does Mike Snellgrove preach the truth? How do you know? If you were going to test me as a preacher of the gospel, how would you know? Well, sure, it'd be the Word of God. But how much do we know about the Word of God? It it, it is sort of like, uh, man, I got this new headlamp this week. uh, And, uh, oh, man, it's like, it'll just melt the pavement on Hudlow down there at night. It's, it's, uh, Yes, sir. I tried and I tried. I couldn't get the blooming thing to work right. Stupid Chinese piece of junk. Then I read the directions. It was amazing. I had the directions. I had them in my hand when I was trying to work the thing, just like people carry Bibles around. But I didn't know what it said. It started out with, duh, or at least it should have. If you don't know what it says, how do you know I preach the truth? Do you just trust me? How do you know that what I say in this pulpit is founded on the Word of God? If you listen to me more than you read your Bible, I could be lying. I could be on some personal tangent. I could just be attacking some sugar stick stuff that I just happen to personally not like instead of preaching the Word of God. We preach Bible exposition here. Do you know what Bible exposition is? Do you know the difference between it and topical preaching? Do you know? If if I die tomorrow and I'm not planning on it, but you never know. If I die tomorrow and you call a pastor, are you going to talk to him about Bible exposition? Are you going to say that we want expository preaching? That's, that's what we've had. And that's what we're used to. Or are you going to look around and go, what's, what's that? Do we know the difference? I'm not jumping on you. I know it feels like it. No tolerance for evil doctrine. I wrote a post for the blog. I just have got to where I know how to say that, by the way. I kept saying I was writing a blog. I'm not writing a blog. I'm writing a post for the blog. Pastor Deese helped me with that. He was so humble. Oh, I was mad for two weeks. 
Oh, I was blistering hot. I sawed a catalytic converter off the van just to make him have to drive it around like that. I need that kind of help. I've never been mad at him. He helps me. Oh, man. So many times like that. But I wrote a post uh, for the blog. I had seen Oprah Winfrey recently on a, or it was several years ago. I saw the video recently, but I saw it was several years ago. She was at one of these award shows, I think the Grammy Awards or something. And she looked at the crowd and she says, the most powerful thing we have is to tell our own truth. And that place erupted into applause. Meryl Street and all those other faithful, godly people in Hollywood. And then she went on to say, women, we must tell our story. And she encouraged them. Now, I applaud her for telling women that you need to tell your story. But I want to tell you, we all have our story, but we don't all have our own truth. And I will just say this quickly because I know I've talked about it a lot. But when all ideas, I know, I know a lot of people think that's just the sweetest thing. That's so Jesus-like. You're a poor theologian and you're a terrible historian. Because when we lose sight of of objective ideals, that means things that aren't my opinion. That means things that are true whether I believe them or not or like them or not. When we lose sight of that, and those things come from God, truth is that which corresponds with reality, and reality is defined by God Himself. And when we lose the meaning, when we decide that everybody can have their own meaning of what makes a human being? Or when does life begin? Or who is a male? Who is a female? What is the definition of marriage? Is premarital sex uh, uh, sanctioned now by God? When we lose sight of those kind of truths and everybody's got their own ideas, you know whose ideas get to win? Somebody said God, somebody said the devil. (laughs) We got it covered. (laughs) I'll tell you who ideas win. The powerful. When we don't follow as human beings what God said a human being is, then Adolf Hitler can look at the Jews and say they're not human beings. When truth becomes what I say it is, then look for people like Hitler and Mao and Stalin to be the ones doing the same. Why do we abort 3,000 almost children in this country every day? Because we haven't made up our minds yet what constitutes a human being so the government, the powerful, gets to make those rules. So while it might sound cool, to get on social media and talk about we all have our own truth. I can tell you the day it will come. We lost 120 million plus people in the last century. 
because there were so many things that weren't true, but the powerful were able to say they were. Hitler said, I just want a little bit of Czechoslovakia. And of course, <laughs> Chamberlain believed him. Came waving the paper as he got off the plane. Peace in our time. I can tell you, it's a dangerous world because when all ideas are equal, all people are not. And Oprah Winfrey should know that better than anybody because there was a time when her people were not considered human beings. It was up for grabs. We lived in a world of murkiness. The lines weren't clear. And people paid for it with their lives. Well, their work, their walk, he also gives them a warning. And this is, this is when he says, I have something against you in verse 4. The reason for his warning, that you have left your first love. This ought to solidify for us right now that love is a choice. You don't fall in love and fall out of love. You fall in whales. You fall in holes. But you don't fall in love. Love is a choice. And he says, I'm holding you accountable because you left your first love. I have never, ever had anybody walk in my office and say, and I hope you're not the first, I have chosen not to love my spouse any longer. They never say that. But I do hear this quite often. I just don't love him or her anymore. Some of them are crying about it. And it's as if circumstances has left my heart stranded, preacher. I'm unable to choose to love. And, and, and it is, it is, it, it's like they pretend to be equally disappointed that, well, well now I'm going to have to move on and, and, and regrettably uh, have a, another relationship with somebody else. It's like horrible things happen to them. They treated it as if it wasn't a choice on their part. I've even started asking them. I've even started asking people when they talk about falling out of love or I just don't love them anymore. I will ask them, when did you decide not to love her anymore? When did you decide that you didn't want to love him anymore? Because love is a decision that we make. You know, I know I know when we first fall in love or we first meet somebody and we might, it might be mostly about looks, you know. Oh, my goodness. To hear Loretta talk about how her heart palpitated. Is that a word? I'm looking at Mike Deese. I should be looking at Josh. Oh, my goodness. I knew when she first met me it, was a, it wasn't true love. It was all about that head full of hair and that incredible mind I have. Boy, I was dumb as a mailbox. We fell in love, I guess you could say then. You won't stay married 40 years the 16th of next month because you fell in something. People don't stay in things they fall in for 40 years. They climb out. But we've reduced love to a feeling. Humans have reduced 
love to a feeling. And, and it, it's like marriage nowadays no longer demonstrates the everlasting pledge of God he has to his people. That's why he gave us marriage, to demonstrate to us his everlasting pledge. And then we judge those. These same people sometimes will judge those who don't support their inescapable and agonizing decision. I, I had to... I had to leave and, 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 and I had to marry this 22 year old and, and then, then the church judged me. Man. He didn't tell Ephesus, you need to fall in love with me again. He actually looked at them and told them, you need to go back and do the things you did at first. You need to repent. Man, and by the way, this is not a message about loving God. It's a message about loving God first. Because you can love a lot of things in life, but unless you love God first, then life doesn't work. And I know it's easy to have so many things in our life that we're looking to to make us happy. Man, have things in your life. Enjoy things in your life. Enjoy your job. Enjoy your kids. Uh, Mike and Kay, enjoy your grandkids. I just, just all of that. But don't love them ahead of God. Because if you do, I promise you, you're going to be disappointed. Just think about it. What venture are you on right now? What's new in your life right now that you're pursuing with everything you got? Hoping and praying that maybe this thing won't disappoint. Well, it will. Love him. And love him first. Love him first. Man. I'm going to move on. The reason for his warning. The response to his warning. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. These people fell out of love. And repent and do the deeds you did at first. That's how you get back in love. Do the things you did at first. One of the things that, man, I, when, when couples seem to be pulling apart and, and, and drawing apart, man, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give them is to go back and do the things you did at first. And I'm not good at that either. When Loretta and I first met, I would... I'd always open the door for her. Get in the car. Now she's lucky if she can get in the thing before I get out of the parking lot. And I leave you. I, I, it's, it, it's Go back and do those things. Treat her like a queen. Love that man and respect that man. And, 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 and those are the kinds of things. But it's also that way with God. What, what you think the praise songs is going to make you love God again? Do you think me preaching? You think me preaching is going to make you love God again? Boy, if everybody that says I'm a great preacher was here this morning, we'd have a church full. I didn't say I agreed with them. I just said, they say it. But that's always what you say when you haven't been here in a month. <laughs> oh, you're a good preacher. I got to get back over there. Yeah, looking for you. 
He said, remember, first of all, remember, remember when you did things for God that you were just reckless. You tithed when you had bills to pay and didn't have money to do it. Remember that? Remember those days when you would work all week long, but you wouldn't miss church for nothing in the world? Remember that time you quit that job because it took up so much of your time you couldn't serve God like you needed to? You Remember when you did things like that? Remember that car you sold that time uh, to give the money to Lottie Moon? Man, boy, were those not the days. Yeah. He says, remember those things. And go back and do them. You were less dignified, captivated, captivated. Man, I know I, I just keep using this, but boy, it just plays such a part in my life. When Loretta and I first began to date her, mom and dad were lost. Let me say this first because I always forget this part. Later they got saved and then they loved me to death, Okay. I forget to say that sometimes. But man, I, they didn't like me. I'd go to the house. They didn't speak. If they did, it was something mean. They never called to check on me. If I didn't show up for a week, they were tickled pink. They didn't care where I was. They didn't call to see how I was doing. But I went back every chance I got. The old saying goes, when they threw the dishwater out, it hit me right in the face. Why? Because there was somebody there I loved. Man, when there's somebody here you love, like we should love God, you'll quit holding the rest of our feet to the fire to make sure we measure up to your expectations. He says also repent. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. He says, lose your love, you lose your light. And here's a church that had the doctrine right. And they weren't a bit lazy. They did things. Boy, they worked hard. They toiled. And I don't know what all it was about, what all the things that they were doing in that day. It was so hard. You risk your life to just to go to church. But, boy, they worked so hard until they finally just were falling in exhaustion on their faces on the ground. But God's telling us today, Cornerstone, we can keep meeting, keep our activities going, keep the budget paid, keep the, all of those things, keep them going. It's all worthless unless we're doing it for his name's sake and we love him above everything else. He says, you used to love me like that. Isn't it cool that what God wants with us? Right, just help me figure this one out. Why would he want a relationship with me? 
Really? I look at some of you ugly men. And I'm like, why would she want a relationship with you? Oh, most of us married way above ourselves. You can just own that. I don't know what it is. Why is it you can tell men they're ugly, but if you tell women that, you won't make it to get to the truck? (laughs) She is prettier than you. Why would she want a relationship with you, man? I can tell you a better one than that is why would God want a relationship with me? He didn't say, Mike, I want you to get your doctrine right. I'll be proud of you if you do. I want you to study the Word of God. I've done that for 40-something years. I want you to preach the Word of God. I've done it thousands and thousands of times. I want you to give. It's not a problem for me. Now, what he said I want you to do, Mike, is love me. I want a relationship with you, Mike. Oh, you can have things in your life. You can enjoy life to the, to the fullest. I think it's great. God has blessed us with so many things in this wonderful world. And, 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 and I think he wants us to enjoy those things. They're great. But don't look to them for your happiness. Don't let them be your first love. Don't have anything in your life that unless it works out, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be broken. And I want to ask you one more question before we go today. I don't even know what time it is. Just 10 out of 2. Are you born again? Are you? I know you are, WD. But I'm asking all of you. You know, we have such an awesome fellowship here. If You know, you'll fit right in. You like guns, you like hunting, you like fishing, stuff like that. You've already pretty well messed up with the preacher. There's a lot of things here that could draw you and make this place a a place that you would like. But I don't want you to come here and like me or like this place or the music or the style or the anything and not be born again. I'm asking you. There's some of you I've never heard you give your testimony. Have you ever shared it with your children? Have you ever told your kids, this is when daddy got saved? You ever told your husband? How how about it, parents? I I, I really, my heart is so heavy today because I, I think we have lost people that you're good people and I love you to death. I want to spend eternity with you. I want to spend eternity with you. Wow. But I don't want you to just to come here and kind of fit in 
We don't push you that hard. We'll give you a job to do. We, we, I notice a lot of people dodge that membership thing. Did you do it because you'd have to give your testimony? And you know you don't have one to give? I know. It's a hard question, isn't it? Boy, I hope you'll think about it. I hope you'll think about it. I hope it keeps you awake until you sit down with somebody or you by yourself say, Lord, I need to be saved. I'm not living every day trusting in what you did on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I aimed it decent and I hit it. I treat people nice. I try to help out at church. Wonderful. But are you born again? Please don't go to hell. Please don't leave here and go to hell. Think about that. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you right now. And God, I know I've been scattered all over the place this morning. But Lord, you know my heart was beating out of my chest today. heart was beating my mind was racing God I feel so heavy inside Lord some of us don't know you I pray God right now you'd speak to that heart give them the courage whatever it takes Father ask you into their heart and life, God, to begin trusting you every day of their life from now till you call us home for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray for all those that do know you, Lord. God, we're so vulnerable to false teaching, and God, sometimes we, we allow things that aren't even biblical to divide us and separate us, and we treat preachers, Lord, that are popular like Hollywood movie stars, God. We really don't know whether they're preaching the truth or not because we carry the directions around, have our favorite version of them. But God, sometimes we don't read them. And then when we do read them, Lord, we need guidance like the Ethiopian eunuch, God, that says, I read it, but I don't understand it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, to take advantage of the opportunities here, Lord, that we have to be taught. We have people here, God, that have committed themselves to teaching your word, Lord. Help us, God. I pray now, Lord. You would help us, Father. Don't take our candle away. Don't quench our light, God. Because without that, Lord, we have nothing. We're ineffective. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. 
Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.